Hello to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. I'm your host, Jill. Croatia. Dave. Don. And Steve. And special guest star, Craig. Okay, I'm also Jill. Jill's out today. She couldn't make it back from a cheerleading thing, so I'm filling in Excellent. as the ringleader. <laughs> and as the ringleader, I would like to get us started on Drink of the Week. Excellent. This drink we are doing is called the Salada. It is a Mexican like hangover drink. It is very easy to make. It was recommended to from us um, by a listener. Her name is Amy. Amy goes to my church, and she also is involved in two of the outreaches with me. We do like a, um, we feed the homeless, and we sleep over at a homeless place. So um, she's a great woman, and she sent this drink a while back. So we're finally getting to it. So um, it is basically Mexican beer, a lime and a half, and then you sh- uh, salt the rim. And they have it the day after a hangover, and sometimes just like on a weekend they say it's kind of like their Bloody Mary. So Mexican hangover cure, that means this is a tequila hangover cure. <laughs> yes. Speaking of which, I want to put in a quick plug. We were in Denver last week, uh, last weekend, and we stopped at a bar called The Bar Nun on Logan Street awesome place anybody who's in the area go to bar none a couple of really awesome bartenders there hooked me up with all sorts of tequila had the best time ever and i could have used this drink the next day excellent it just it's just beer and lime so it is really yummy but it probably settles your stomach with the bubbles and the lime Mm -hmm. i like warm coke for hangovers myself you're I don't warm- have hangovers anymore, believe it or not. You're a warm coke don't type believe. of guy. Any stomach ache, you're like, take a warm coke. Warm coke. <laughs> you're making forever. you feel good there, Steve. Mm-hmm. You're right? Yeah, I'm good. Steve, I wish you we were on camera. <laughs> so I gotta say, not bad. I do prefer the tequila myself, but I'm willing to drink this too. Yeah, it's, it's refreshing, and I, I like the morning part of it. Like, this is low alcohol, so you're not gonna get hammered again. Yeah, I think tequila as a morning drink would be more like a berry thing. <laughs> oh, can they do like snake bite? <laughs> All right, so that's the assessment of the drink then. Yes, thank you, Amy. And it passes. Yeah, and again, go to Bar None. That place was awesome. Uh, okay, so this week we are covering. Well, we promised to cover unindicted co-ejaculators. Uh, I promised to do that. I looked into my first case and found out there is no way I can do any more than this one case. So we have one particular special ejaculator that we'll cover today, and uh, the rest, I guess, we'll just have to go um, more anonymous. Special ejaculator. Mm. That was great. (laughs) Glad you liked it. Um, So I have to introduce this, unfortunately, by going to what we usually go to, which is a horrific murder, um, because that is really the topic that brings up our... Uh, situation for today and this would be the rape and murder of Holly Staker Um, she was an 11 year old Uh, she was a babysitter at the time that she was murdered she was babysitting Uh, and this happened on August 17 1992 in Waukegan Illinois Um, she was murdered while watching the two young children one of whom was in the house one of whom was not or the apartment actually I think either way on the premises Uh, So what we'll go over today is basically the investigation, the interrogation of the suspect, the prosecution of the suspect, and then also the evidence. And we'll talk a bit about the man convicted of the crime, Juan Rivera, 
And then we will here and there likely touch on the prosecutor who put him away. Uh, his name is Mike Mermel, a real gem of a guy there. And also we'll likely touch on his superior, who was the state's attorney, named Michael Waller. So, let's dive in. As I said, this was a rape-slash-murder that occurred on August 17, 1992. The authorities investigated, of course, uh, were all over the scene, and for the next couple of months could find nothing in the way of leads. They were pretty much, you know, getting nowhere. So public pressure was really mounting to find a killer because people tend to get upset, generally when people are murdered, but especially when young girls are raped and murdered. So it's understandable the public pressure, and it's understandable why the authorities would have felt that pressure. Fortunately for them, they ultimately did get a suspect hand delivered to them on October 26th, so that's two months later, roughly. Handed to them? Yes, because this Juan Rivera, who, as I mentioned, was the man who was uh, tried for this crime, he happened to also be convicted of burglary. Uh, so after the murder happened, and you know, before the police found anyone to investigate, Juan Rivera uh, found himself in jail. So he was in jail, and there was an informant that he uh, had some contact with while in jail. So that informant who was with Rivera said to the police, hey, uh, Juan Rivera has some information about what happened during this murder, and he might know who did it. So that's kind of, you know, the informant's contribution, as he said. There's this guy, he might know. So, of course, the police then go and round up Rivera, and uh, they decide to interrogate him, which makes sense. Now, Juan Rivera, unfortunately, I know very little about Holly Staker. It was hard to find any real information on her to provide a profile of who she was. But there's more on Rivera, um, partly because he's still alive and partly because this case has been covered a great deal. Um, he's not a smart guy. He was measured with an IQ of 76. He was known to have psychological issues, and he was not a rich person at all. Well, that's in the Republican range. <laughs> at least MAGA. Anyway. We were just talking about this with Haiti, that in a lot of countries, like, education is not um, a lot, uh, even a, a mandatory thing, so a lot of people, you know, like Haiti, you have to pay to go to school, so it's not, uh, it's not a right that you get. You need $400 a year to go to school. Uh, yeah, but of course, so, IQ and... Those things. Yeah. Well, yeah, IQ does track with education, right? So it should independently somewhat measure your intelligence, but this guy had a grade 9 education. Uh, and probably not the highest caliber of schooling. No. But at any rate, he <laughs> yep. wasn't he wasn't a super genius at all. Or isn't a super genius. I don't mean that to, you know, besmirch him, but that is the case. So um he was a convicted burglar. Um honestly, I'm not sure based on the rest of this case that I believe he was an actual burglar. He may have been, but um, I've got question marks. But as a result of that, at the time of the murder he was wearing a leg monitor. So that should be somewhat useful for law enforcement investigation purposes. Should be. And that would normally, if they could tell where you are. You would think. You would think. Wait. <laughs> anyway, they picked him up on the 26th of October, and they proceeded to interrogate him. He at first maintained his innocence, uh, and then despite the fact that, you know, they kept sort of pushing him. He continued to maintain his innocence. They continued to not buy it. He continued to maintain, and this went on four days. It was intense and pretty long hours interrogation, although it was somewhat intermittent. It wasn't a solid 
96 hours. But they continued on. He continued to maintain his innocence. And during this process, uh, they twice brought him in for polygraph. So he was questioned under a polygraph. And eventually, after those four days and after two polygraph uh, examinations, he did admit to the crime. Um, he basically, he, I, as far as I can tell, he never actually said, I did it. But the police said, hey, did you do this? And he nodded his head to basically say, yeah. Um, in fact, though, it's not only that, as far as I can tell, he didn't verbally say anything. At the time that they got him to nod to basically indicate that he committed the murder, he apparently couldn't actually talk. Um, because of his four days of intense questioning and super harsh stress, and presumably because of whatever psychological issues he may have had, he was pretty much uh, in a psychotic state. And in fact, that's not just me saying that, that is the medical personnel who are on site at the questioning. That doesn't matter. Uh, they decided that's good, so the police wrote up, the, or the interrogators wrote up the confession. Uh, he didn't write it himself, but they did it for him. That's nice. <laughs> and they brought it Make sure he got it right. They wanted to, you know, make sure the accuracy was there. Right. They, Aim to serve. Right. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, they they make to sure it's a him to serve. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, they probably wanted to make sure they got it totally right, and we'll revisit that in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but interestingly, before I go on, I have to point out that Rivera's story was not true. Like when they asked him the events of the night. Um, he definitely said things that were clearly not true. He told lies. He changed his story. It was kind of all over the place. So honestly, I can see how the police would be suspicious. This guy can't give me a straight story about where he was, what he was doing, who he saw, anything like that. I'd be suspicious. The problem I have is the investigators seem to have assumed that he was guilty and just decided to make the rest fit. I think that's yeah. really the I mean, they, if they're professionals, they should have known the guy isn't right. It happened with them making the murderer kid, too. Remember yeah, when they yeah. interrogated him for so long? Yeah. That's yeah, and they used sleep deprivation. So he sleep could have been nodding because he was going to sleep. Is <laughs> something that yeah. a lot of people don't understand how much that can actually affect you, but um, you can actually live longer without food than you can without sleep. So True. when you're put under sleep deprivation, you will start to... Uh, completely lose all of your senses and you'll confess to pretty much anything. And they're yeah. probably making suggestions along the way because we know most cops when they're interrogating like you did this right? Like little pieces of information not necessarily like you did the crime but they could be adding little facts in and then he recites them because now they're true. Yeah. Um, good point. Right? Yeah. Um, so right. I mean if you deprive somebody of sleep and subject them to this kind of questioning, you could probably get a lot of confessions from innocent people, probably more than you could from guilty, frankly. Mm -hmm. Well, couldn't they check his confessions against the tape recording or... Yeah, that would be great if the uh, interrogation had been videotaped or audiotaped or if anybody had kept the notes afterward, but there was none of that, so... Really? In the 90s? None of that. So none of that. Yeah. have the stenographer's notes? They had nothing whatsoever. Wow. So, <laughs> but we what can, the police wrote. <laughs> we pretty much had to take them at their word for whatever that's worth. Oh, I trust mm. the cops, too. should not be admitted in what? any court mm. if you don't even have the notes of a confession. Well, it should be thrown out. Yeah. And here's yeah. a failing of mine, by the way, because this is his first confession, and I'm not positive, but I think this one wasn't admitted in court. Mm. Uh, and we'll get into that shortly. Okay. 
Um, so yeah, his story definitely had holes, lies, revisions, etc. One of the funnier ones is his initial story was that he was at a house party at a house that was in the neighborhood near where the murder happened. And somehow that wasn't true. He wasn't there. And there wasn't even a party there that night. So it's a weird story, to, a weird thing to lie about. But, uh, but he did. Um, so anyway. Well, at least that's what the police wrote. He said he did, right? Did I understand that right? Yes. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe they were at a party somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess you have to throw a question mark on that, too. <laughs> anyway, ultimately, they get this uh, confession on October the 30th. It was at 3 a.m. Uh, Enter the sleep deprivation, right? Um, and by the way, if anybody is interested in looking into the details of the evidence and... Uh, the, basically the case against this guy. We'll post a link to uh, law.northwestern.edu. They have a great uh, article that basically, or I think it's actually the, the paper that was filed in order to get an appeal. So uh, we'll provide that. It's a little bit long, but it's really head-shaking. You probably learn a lot just going through that. Yeah, make sure you send yeah. that to me, yeah. Craig. About, not only sure about the case, so but about how our system doesn't work yeah. sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so they get him to sign the confession that they had typed up, and then the uh, investigators take off, and a few minutes later, one of the medical personnel or one of the officers, somebody there, had noted that Rivera was tapping his head against the wall. So the officers returned to his cell, and they found Rivera on the floor in a fetal position. Unresponsive to verbal commands, he didn't appear to recognize the people who had come into the room, even though he'd just been spending lots of time with them. And he was just staring into space, basically unresponsive. Uh, so again, the quality of that first confession and the, uh, you know, sort of the validity of it, I've got a question. So then Rivera starts hyperventilating, and these people try to help him by having him breathe into a paper bag, the uh, oft-touted and I'm skeptical of remedy, but whatever. They try that, that doesn't work. So they cuffed him and threw him alone in a rubber room as a second way to deal with the hyperventilating. Basically, don't fix the problem, just make it somewhere that you don't have to see it. <laughs> and make it worse. Yeah, like just think how terrifying that is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't imagine. Uh, like so I'm a little what's claustrophobic. A, what's the theory there, David? Do you know the theory that about the bag? Uh, so you've got too much of some some gas in your body because yeah, you haven't been I, breathing right. I've never really thought that the paper bag was something to use. So you got too much carbon dioxide yeah. or something and, and it supposedly writes it again or... or I had uh, a panic attack once and they basically just had me come to the side and it was like a breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, start slowing down your breathing right, rather right. than the paper bag. And I like remember I couldn't function and I felt like I couldn't breathe or nothing and I just, I got to the side and everybody that was around me kind of recognized what was going on and they that's what they had me do, like start slowing down my breath because it was coming out like a hyperventilation. Yeah, when we're anxious, that's what we do. Right, so I think the paper bag is like an old wives' tale type of thing because in through your yeah. nose, not through your mouth. Yeah. I was placebo. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they had like people in front of me, like holding me, like in through our nose, two, three, out. You know, just. So to... when will you be functional again? I don't know. <laughs> Never. I don't think it's just part of life, right? <laughs> Get her a it paper was bag. Pretty scary. But... Okay, so we don't buy the paper bag. We don't buy it. And no. Grisha will hopefully someday recover. Yep. 
<laughs> to sum that up. <laughs> yes, there's the summation. So um, after he was put into that room, uh, he eventually stopped hyperventilating, and he went on to banging his head against the walls uh, to the point where he developed swelling on his head. He developed a hematoma. Uh, so this is all happening while they're typing up the notes and preparing to have him sign <laughs> The quote profession. notes. Did you say quote? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, quote notes. So a few hours after they left him, they come back with the confession, and Rivera signed the confession, and the officers claimed that he appeared cogent and responsive at that time. Oh, that's a good... Okay, so this guy's in a fetal position... Well, he may not still be in a fetal position now. He may have recovered enough. But at how least much to pick time lapsed between the fetal position? Less than three Well, hours. after they stopped oh, well, him, he came out that's of the a, That's position. a miraculous recovery. <laughs> he's actually in a yeah. coma. We just yeah. don't realize yeah. it. Yet. And then and these, the doctor cops, they think, oh, yeah, yeah he's cognizant, yeah. Yeah. Huh? So, Unbelievable. As I say, he was at least responsive enough to be able to pick up a pen and sign. Yeah. So, sign with here. a little help, I bet. <laughs> So, quick police work. The next step in this phase, though, is to go to the state's attorney, one Michael Waller, and show him the confession so that you can proceed from there. Waller looked at it and thought that, there, well, there was a lot in it that was incorrect and implausible. So, after pointing that out, everybody in attendance agreed, and this includes the investigators and the state's attorney, that it was factually inaccurate and hard to believe. The fine police work that they'd done in investigating him produced a bullshit document that nobody, even the state's attorney, could believe. There you go. So, logically then... <laughs> Time we do, to rewrite it. Exactly. We gotta edit these notes. <laughs> <laughs> we need to make our story better. So he sent the investigators back to correct the inconsistencies. It doesn't appear that anybody ever questioned whether maybe it was just bullshit or not, they just questioned whether they could come up with something coherent, which, as it turns out, they couldn't. Um, this first confession was characterized as being entirely false, and even by the authorities' admission, this is staggering, 80% of it was wrong. So you just spent four days extracting a confession where 80% of it you know is wrong, and, you know, just important details that indicate he was never there, like... He said that she was wearing tight shorts and I can't remember some sort of a shirt, but it was completely wrong. She was wearing like the opposite of that. She was wearing like stretch pants and a multicolored shirt. It was just, it couldn't have been more off base in every way. So they go back and try to get it right. And I think, you know, this is just evidence of how little the police actually knew about the details of the crime at that time because they couldn't feed them the right stuff. Hmm. So, um, so they go back the same day and they go through it again with them basically asking him questions and looking for him to respond to it and they come up with uh, revision number two which is more plausible and less uh, inconsistent with itself imagine what Rivera must have been thinking okay I already told you you got what you wanted mm -hmm. now you're back and you want it all changed yeah so part of what he was thinking is during the two polygraph tests that he had been through uh, he would have presumably thought that that could be uh, used to indicate whether he's guilty or not. He would have had that belief largely because the police told him that the polygraph, the police or the examiner, I can't remember for sure which, I'm pretty sure it was the police, uh, they told him that the polygraph showed that he was guilty and that, uh, you know, in his own mind, he's like, I'm innocent, but I'm going to jail for this. Maybe yeah. it's better to confess. Yeah. yeah, I don't want the needle. I'll take life. But... Yeah. But it turns out they lied. It's bullshit. The so, so a couple of things. Um, and Davey, you can 
or, or guys can help me out he here. He's a lawyer. So the court, the Supreme Court ruled at some point in time that it was okay for cops to lie to you. Yes. And that should yeah. be a warning to everybody. The second thing is, at what point did polygraphs become inadmissible as evidence in court? I thought they were inadmissible. They are inadmissible. I think they've always been inadmissible. Yeah. So, I don't okay. remember a case well, that's let, ever. Let you go but on I think here. it's a common misconception, though, that they are important because they're not important. If you're nervous at all, you're going to fail it, even in just life. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who is an anxious person, which this guy had some mental issues, so he probably already would have failed it no matter what it was. Yeah, I, I, was he uh, fluent in English? Yeah, he was an English speaker. Okay. Um. But, so it's a little slow, but he's an English speaker. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway... Just like me. <laughs> <laughs> Rivera would have had a fair bit of incentive, or thought he had a fair bit of incentive, to sign the confession, even if he thought he was bullshit, based on the fact that they basically told him, you're going for this anyway. Um, that's a bit of a paraphrase, but that's basically what it was. So... They wrote the confession, and the allegation was that there were details in this confession that were not known to the public, and that Rivera had provided them. Of course, we have no way to verify that these are details that the police were unaware of, or that, you know, I believe the police knew these details, told Rivera, or didn't tell Rivera, whatever. Just wrote them. <laughs> yeah. There's no reason to believe that Rivera knew the details. Uh, so anyway... Second confession. Reasonable doubt. Yeah, I don't know what reasonable doubt means, but the jury could maybe help me out. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Rivera gets convicted here. <laughs> but, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> we'll just enjoy it. Whatever is fair. It's a jury, a jury of his peers, though, right? Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah. you mean everybody's got a 79 IQ? <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be. This well, explains that's, something. <laughs> that's pretty much where I was going with that. You know? <laughs> Good point. Jury of your peers. So they present this second confession to Rivera, and he doesn't really correct the content of it. He just fixes their grammar and spelling. So he may be a ninth grade education, but at least he has a better grasp of English than the investigators had. <laughs> <sighs> Deep sigh. Uh, and that's pretty much it for now. Uh, we're going to go ahead and bring this guy to trial, and we'll get into that in a moment. But before that does happen... The prosecution comes upon a pair of shoes, and the story behind these shoes is Rivera, who is in jail, you know, after this interrogation, after the murder, at least, gives a pair of shoes to another inmate in return for a television. The inmate gives this pair of shoes to the police, or the authorities in whatever fashion, and these shoes happen to have Holly Staker's blood on them. Hmm. So this is pretty incriminating. Yeah. The guy that you've got in jail for the murder <coughs> has a pair of shoes that are his. Excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. <coughs> so this guy that you have in jail for the murder owned a pair of shoes that has Holly Staker's blood on it. Um, and so, you know, they, they finally got some physical evidence because prior to this, all that they had to tie Rivera to the crime was an informant saying that, hey, this guy knows something about it. He might know who did it. And you have his confession that you extracted under highly questionable means. But now you've got physical evidence, so great. Let's go on to the trial. The trial began on November 1, 1993. The prosecution, I'm going to go through their evidence. Please stay with me. Um, 
there isn't really much. So <laughs> I'll go through the evidence and then the anti-evidence. Um, they called no witnesses because there were no witnesses. Nobody could actually place Rivera at or near the crime scene. So no witnesses. Skip on to the next thing, which is Rivera's confession. His second confession, I'm pretty sure, but not 100% sure that the first confession was not presented. Um, but Let's see, this was a question in my mind. Is like, if I was a defense attorney, I would love to see the first one and the second one and compare them for the jury, but there's no way of knowing if that ever happened. Probably didn't happen. Um, no, I'm sure there is a way. I just honestly, I don't know for sure. I My notes say it was the second confession, but I can't remember if I read explicitly that the first confession wasn't in there. The more I, I hear this, the more I worry about the defense. Of course, Public so, defender. But. Yeah, and I, in the course of looking this over, I found one story about a public defender. I don't think it was in this county, but just to give an idea of how bad the defense can be, who's completely overworked to the point where he, for capital cases, was earning $600 per case. So you can imagine how much time and effort that he can, he can expend. Like he's got a ridiculously large docket and maybe a couple hours to defend a murder case. That's where you'd want my cousin Vinny. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. So, I don't necessarily mean to impugn the defense in this trial because I don't actually know. I couldn't say how well they defended. Or... I'll tell you what I do know is that these guys are, are a lot like social workers. They've got caseloads that are just unbelievable and they're overworked and underpaid and they do the best they can probably, but... Yeah. So, Not enough hours in the week. Yeah. That likely was the case here, but I don't know for sure. But whether it was the case here or not, it's endemic. Hey, if the cops can make it up, we can make it up. <laughs> We're better than that. That's true. You're, true. You're right. I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Yeah. So anyway, they have his second confession as their primary, actually really only evidence. This is what they base their whole case on is his confession. Um, you have any questions about the evidence? Anyone? Oh. Well, what about the shoes? Oh. Did they bring up the shoes? Very good question. So the defense was clearly doing some work because in the course of preparing for the trial, evidently, they found that the shoes that had Staker's blood on them that belonged to Rivera were not available for sale in the United States until after the murder occurred. So. What? Okay, so, so they we... planted the blood on the shoes. Yes. Uh, you would think, or although... Maybe the good fairy came down into it. I yeah. So I like to think of Mike Mermel, the uh, prosecutor in this case, as being the Tom Brady of railroading innocent people, because this is not his only mm -hmm. uh, example. And I like to think of his boss, Michael Waller, as being like the Bill Belichick. <laughs> so the Michael Mermel... You've got an awful bitter about the Patriots. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I like the Bucks. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, Mike Mermel had an alternate theory, uh, not that the evidence was planted, but that perhaps the lab fucked up. So basically the lab had contaminated the shoes by accidentally getting Staker's blood on them. It would turn out that there was more DNA on the shoes that didn't belong to, like blood DNA that didn't belong to Rivera either, and it was to an identi unidentified person. But. Uh, well, it was uh, the other murder that they were going to... Okay. Yeah. They got confused. Which one are we framing them for? <laughs> yeah, we... <laughs> I've got all these samples in my pocket, and they're not labeled. Son of a bitch. Oh. <laughs> yeah, chain of evidence. Right. Okay. Uh, so let me just 
review this for my own head's sake. Shoes, blood of the murder victim, but the shoes weren't even in the country before the murder happened? Is that, did I get that right? They were in a warehouse in California. At that time, they were not available for sale. So, presumably then, Rivera had traveled over to California, broken into the warehouse, stolen that pair of shoes, come back to Illinois, and then committed the murder. And at the same time, made sure that none of his DNA was on the shoe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, that's... I, I, I get it. That's logical. Yeah. So, so. It, it turns out that they did not bring this evidence forward at trial because... <laughs> Obvious reasons. Yeah. Make the jury laugh itself to death. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, again, they convict him pretty much entirely on the basis of the second confession, but I want to go into a little bit more of the actual evidence that was involved here. First off, the ankle monitor, which is supposed to show where a person is at when they're wearing it, or if they leave a zone they're allowed to be in. That's kind of the point of them. Kind of the idea. Uh, the ankle monitor showed Rivera to not be anywhere near the house at any point during that night. And Guilty! <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Mermel said that these things malfunction a lot. So Mermel's interesting because on the one hand... Did you just say that your, your, your property doesn't actually work? So what? what? Yeah. It's got to mean you're guilty. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, the fact that I believe these things can malfunction a lot means that even though they prove that you were nowhere near the scene of the crime, you had to have done it somehow. <laughs> That's insane. Bulletproof. Sherlock. <laughs> so I thought this sounded like total BS, so I looked it up, and it turns out that there can be malfunctions a lot with ankle monitors. The catch is, these aren't malfunctions that say dude is in place A when he's actually in place yeah, B. Yeah, because they don't connect. Right. right, so they stop sending data. Uh, that's one way. Or the battery dies, so they stop sending data. Or conceivably, and this has happened, uh, the wearer can circumvent it by cutting it off, but then you have some pretty strong physical evidence that the guy cut it off and left. Well, yeah, and most of them, if you actually cut them off, you got to be, like, really know what you're doing because they actually can detect that there's... It sends an alert. Yeah, yeah it sends yeah. an alert. So. Exactly. It's got a fiber optic in it that if it's yeah. even bent to the point of cracking, it yeah. sends the alert. You'll notice, dear listener, that we know a lot about ankle brace. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you'd like to confess to, Don? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. <laughs> so the other thing about malfunctions with these is partly for the reasons we've already discussed, they send an absolute bucket of false alerts to the people who have to monitor it. Yes. So, <laughs> they have many downsides, one of which is the people who have to monitor these things get pretty much bored of following all the bullshit alerts, and there are cases where people get murdered while the aware of the <laughs> device is off murdering them because nobody can be bothered to look at the alerts that are 99.99% bullshit. <laughs> nice. Wow. But this isn't the case here. No, no. Th there was data, and he wasn't there. He so, wasn't okay. there, yeah. So there's, as far as I know, there's never been that kind of case where it says you're, you're, you're at B, but you, you yeah. are at A. Or yeah, crazy. I'm not wording this right because I've had I'm, these guys are drinking something different than me. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, I just have to go on a little digression on ankle monitors because I found this one article on Vox.com that talked about malfunctions and ankle monitors, and it's just, I didn't realize what a despicable item these things are, but here's the quote, one of the quotes from the article, and it's talking about 
a woman who had been picked up for drug possession. So, you know, she's not a murderer, she's not a rapist, she's not a really anything. She just did some drugs, which to me shouldn't be a crime anyway, but go figure. So she has to wear an ankle monitor. So, quote, Hannah says her ankle monitor is about the size of a pack of cigarettes. It lights up green when her location is available and red when it isn't, which happens more often than she'd like. When the ankle monitor loses its GPS signal, she has to walk around outside until the signal returns. She <laughs> also has to spend long periods tethered to a wall while the ankle monitor charges, which can make taking care of her newborn tricky. Hannah mm. pays $300 a month to have it. <laughs> so yeah. the, the system is profiting off this poor Whatever's person. Whatever's fair. Whatever's fair. <laughs> well, yeah, and our prison systems are also for profit, so, right. you know, is you know, there's a lot of money in convicting people who didn't actually commit crimes. Mm. Yeah, there sure is. The numbers, yeah. I mean, we don't even know what the numbers are, but... Tremendous. They're estimated. So we lead the world in the number of people in cars. I'm sure we do. I think um, so. Yeah. Especially even. the number of innocent people who are clearly innocent <laughs> yeah. incarcerated. Yeah, yeah. Like, you yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, ankle monitor does not tie him to the scene. Uh, so... Um, at this point, we've covered the evidence that they used to convict, which was the confession. Uh, we've talked a bit about the ankle monitor. Let's go through some of the other stuff. Um, there was pubic hair found on uh, Holly's body, including on her genital area, which did not match Rivera. Um, the way that Merm will explain this away is that she, and actually this is borderline plausible to me, she was naked on the floor and there were lots of animals and other hairs in the house, so they could have gotten on her. Okay, well, that has that. Pubic actually. hair is very distinctive, right? Yeah. yeah true, but pubic hair. I mean, it probably wasn't a cat's pubic hair, but still, I mean, <laughs> it seems plausible. However, so none gross. of that hair matched Rivera, so question mark. If she's like covered in these things and none of it matches Rivera, he probably wasn't there. And if it didn't match the homeowner, like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Still think so, that's kind of weird. I don't know who it matched, but it didn't match him. Similarly, um, she was stabbed 27 times oh, in the course of being murdered. God. 11-year-old uh, girl. Yeah. So don't, don't think about that too much because it's not cool. No. But uh, what it does point out is that, of course, there was a lot of blood. There was blood all over the place. None of that matched Rivera. So the murderer wouldn't necessarily have cut himself in the commission of the crime, but it's not too hard to believe that he may have. But uh, whatever. There was none of Rivera's blood found at the site. They also had fingerprints. There were 70-some fingerprints collected. 32 of them were usable for identification purposes. Zero of them matched Rivera. Um, some did match prints that the examiner did not have access to, which I would imagine might very well be the actual killer. Spoiler alert, Rivera wasn't it. Um, but at any rate, nothing... <laughs> yeah, again, I don't know what reasonable doubt means. I'd be horrible on a jury. I bet you're white. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I had watched a Netflix documentary on a guy named Ryan Ferguson, and this just blows my mind. Well, partly because he's white and he got railroaded, but um, his dad spent like 10 years trying to get him exonerated after mm -hmm. a bullshit conviction where it was pretty clear it was bullshit. And finally, there was a lawyer out of Chicago who took up his case named Kathleen Zellner, and she got him off remarkably, but... You know, there's there's obviously bad prosecutors prosecutors yes, there out are. there. We're looking at one here, and there was one there. 
And But she said, you know, I've never seen anything like this in my life. She deals with prosecutors all the time, and she says, when I bring them evidence to prove that somebody's innocent, they actually don't want to convict these people. They want them to be free. Most 99% of prosecutors would not want to, but there is that percentage, and there is a lot of racism in law enforcement. And so when you have a minority... Um, and there's racism on juries. Um, you know, oh, look at George Zimmerman. There's laziness, too. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. but look at George Zimmerman. If, if George Zimmerman was black and had chased a white kid around a neighborhood and shot him, do you think the jury would have even thought for a second to hear a defense like, well, I was standing my ground? Yeah. Yeah. Normally, to think that over. <laughs> normally, I don't really think much about hypotheticals, but I feel like that's a pretty sound argument. Yeah, like, there's no way idea. I can buy that the black murderer Zimmerman would have gotten away with killing the white Trayvon Martin. Oh, of course not. You, you, yeah. How do you stand somebody's ground when you're chasing yeah. them? Hey, come back here. I need to defend myself. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. have to stand your ground. Right. Yeah. Um. Anyway. <laughs> so, um... Pubic hair doesn't match, blood doesn't match, fingerprints don't match. Guilty. Uh, there was also some hair with tissue still attached to it that was found at one of the doors in the uh, residence. And, you know, given that it was sort of apparently pulled out in all likelihood, you may think that that would be related to the murder. This also excluded Rivera. And Mermel argued that the, the hair with the tissue could not have been related to the murder because... It was found at a door that was not used to enter the premises. It may have been used to leave it, but it wasn't used for the entry. What an Aristotle that man is. <laughs> His logic is just... It uh, is oh. indisputable. So he goes on to argue that hair could be deposited in one part of a residence and like be disturbed by the air or in various ways end up anywhere. But at the same time, he argues that because this was found at the door that wasn't broken into, or that wasn't the entrance that it can't be related. So it's just staggering kind of the inconsistencies in his logic. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, this door only works if you walk through it this way. <laughs> <laughs> it's the big sign saying one way. Can you imagine the horror of the defendant in this kind of a case? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. people are buying this. What, you know, what chance are you talking about Franz Kafka and, you know... Well, the one trial, the, what? Uh, what's more is that actually this door was certainly, the perpetrator certainly was at this door and doing something violent because he used a mop to basically put a hole through it, I think. So it's hard to understand how the hair couldn't be related. Uh, anyway. So there is your physical evidence at the site. None of it ties to our Juan Rivera. Maybe it's so. quantum logic. <laughs> or Schroeder's cat logic, or something like that. Hypothetical physics. Hypothetical physics. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit more that the prosecution could lean on, though, uh, aside from the hundreds of pieces of evidence at the scene that didn't implicate Rivera. Um, and that is, first, the jailhouse snitch that... Um, yeah, because if you can't trust a jailhouse snitch, who can you trust? Oh, yeah, exactly. absolutely. The most unassailable of sources. But let me just say a little bit more about him. He now um, works for Fox News. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, they will. <laughs> 
So the first thing to note about him is that at the time that he said, hey, Rivera knows something and he may know the murderer, this informant was actually a suspect in the murder. So. <laughs> oh, more logic. Wow. Don't look at me. Look at him. Yeah. <laughs> this guy. So you got to wonder just a little bit. Um, he was then at trial. He suddenly remembered more things that Rivera had allegedly told him. Um, he provided actually some details that were known to be false. So, for instance, the party that Rivera had said that he had been at the night of the murder, the party that never happened, that was part of what the suspect or the, the informant said was the story that Rivera had fed him. Um, so, you know, you have to wonder why Rivera would be in jail telling another dude that he committed a crime and then lying about, you know, where he was when it happened. Yeah, I and mean, that's kind of weird. Like, so he, he, he was giving him an alibi? I mean, that was the point? Well, the house was very near the site of the crime, so... I mean, if there was a party at that house and Rivera was there, then that would strengthen the case. But oh, there was okay. no party at that house and Although Rivera wasn't there. Although the ankle bracelet didn't see him there yeah. or anywhere except... So, somewhere way far away. Yeah, so yeah. he was giving details that were provably false. I mean, it's conceivable Rivera told him those conceivably false details, but it's pretty hard to imagine why he would. It's easier to imagine that maybe this informant had subsequently been fed these details by a prosecution that mm -hmm. wanted to get a conviction. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting to note that at the time that he provided this testimony, the informant was trying to collect on a reward for leading the police to the murderer. So how many incentives does this guy get? You know, shorten my sentence, don't see me as a suspect. Monetary. And now let's well, give me yeah, a reward. That, you, you've got to get some sort of relocation, too, because anytime you snitch in prison, um, yeah. you're oh. a target. I mean, nobody in their right mind is going to snitch in prison. Unless no. you're being taken out you of You remember prison. old Whitey. Yeah, so, mm. I mean, you just... You could put padlocks in a yeah. sock, man. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, you folks don't quite have the full picture of why to be skeptical of him, even though you've got a lot of reasons so far, but there's one okay. other thing. He, in the course of providing this information, provided a piece of paper that he said he had written down Rivera's exact words on at the time that Rivera had told him this story on September 16th of 1992. Which so is more than the cops did at the time. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, he's got paper in his so cell, but nobody else has paper? What the fuck? Uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, so he claimed that these were Rivera's exact words written down, you know, after the murder, before the trial, and actually before the, before Rivera had been picked up. The catch is, the paper that it was written on was not available to inmates at the jail. So, clearly... Well, that should make no difference at all. <laughs> the cops didn't no. have any paper either, though. What so was paper. that prosecutor's name again? Mike Mermel. Why, I'm sure Mermel had an explanation for this. Hmm. He went outside, there was a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly made some paper. <laughs> he That's pulled it out of his pocket. We didn't notice it when we were searching him. Peter Pan was flying over. Well. <laughs> That's one of the few pieces of evidence that casts doubt on the prosecution that I actually don't recall seeing anything that Mermel said to explain it away. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently his creativity had come to a stop at that point. He's going to leave that one alone. Didn't have oh anything. Oh, my God. So, anyway, the first trial, spoiler alert, there's more than one trial, ends with, uh, you know, the prosecutor's summation to the jury, which essentially amounted to, I have no evidence. Please convict this man. <laughs> um, however, he did have slightly different words, and I'd like to quote him. 
So here are his exact words in summation. Now, unfortunately, the DNA in this case was no help, but the thing is, is that the savagery of the defendant's attack on poor little Holly Staker is what prevented the sperm DNA from having any possible probative value. You recall the testimony from Dr. Jones, and you also recall the testimony, I believe, maybe, from Elizabeth Benzinger, the DNA scientist, or could have been one of the other blood experts, that the Q-tips that were used to swab Holly Staker's vagina were slow, so bloody that essentially her DNA overwhelmed the very tiny, tiny amount of sperm that was found in Holly Staker. And so basically, like a drop in the ocean, it just cannot be analyzed. There was so little sperm DNA that he had made Holly Staker's vagina bleed so profusely by the savagery of his attack that prevented the scientists from being able to develop any results on the sperm. It is no one's fault but the defendant that that can't be analyzed. I mean, there's nothing that can be done about it. The scientists tried everything they could, and it couldn't be developed. I just got a migraine. <laughs> Whoa. It just... I mean, that's maybe a little what dry. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here going, you just summed up your case with... Fuck me, I know. Really? <laughs> really? Like, eh, we got nothing, but... Get the rope. Get we the don't rope. have any evidence, but it's his fault. And he actually just <laughs> signed the... The body. Yeah. For the record, I'm equally to blame for the fact that they couldn't get any DNA off of that. <laughs> I guess we all are. It's yeah, insane. basically. Jeez. Presumption of guilt, folks. Yeah. Wow, well, that's the key to this. <laughs> the problem too with juries is that, and a lot of people, is that they don't understand that. You know, people will confess to crimes that they don't commit. And there's a lot of people who have a very difficult time grasping that. They're like, why would you confess to a crime you didn't commit? Well, it's because you've never been through an interrogation. Mm -hmm. um, so Where you I lack mean, sleep and yeah, everything else. Yeah. The thing is, is that torture, it happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, if torture didn't work, we wouldn't use it. I mean... I've also found juries are very lazy sometimes. I've been on those kinds of juries. And if, yeah. if allowed to, just because they want to get the hell out of there, sure. uh, they, they would convince, you know, convict anybody. So. Well, and some people you get on there are definitely on the whole mentality of our cops are the good guys and that's the bad guys. And mm -hmm. I'm on the good guy side. So Rather you, than we're all human, including cops. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So they don't see the, the negativity there. They're, they're, you know, on that side no matter what yep so yeah false confessions are actually far from rare and you know you can see how it happens it's like the cops convince you that you're going to jail for it you know you're innocent if you confess maybe you get a little bit more leniency at sentencing or maybe you think look there's no way i know i didn't do this there's no way i'm actually going to get convicted because there'll be like a fair trial which is a foolish thing to think but you can see how some people would yeah, I mean it's like being beaten on, and you just want the beating to stop. Do you know how yeah. many how many people confess to lesser crimes for lesser time when they know they're innocent because they don't want that enormous time? And their their own lawyers will tell them that. Yeah. So here's your deal, pal. If 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 we fight this in court, and you lose. You get forty years. If you confess to this, you're out in five. Yeah. Yeah, you get five or ten. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's that's yeah. It's a problem in the system, no doubt about that. Yep. Sad but true. So anyway, November nineteen, he is found guilty. The prosecution asks for the death sentence, 
the judge, Judge Stark, uh, sentences Rivera to life. And we're done. All set. Except on November 9, 1996, the Illinois Appellate Court reversed the conviction and ordered a new trial on the basis of there were trial errors. I'm not going to get into trial errors, A, because I'm not totally sure exactly How which ones they, they based believe on. such a thing? Trial <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we've already covered a lot about this. They this found bullshit. you could actually walk out that door if you opened it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, you can go in and out. Watch those guys. <laughs> so, we have a second trial, and this commences on September 16, 1998. And we have a little new evidence. So let's dive in. Whereas in the first case, he was convicted essentially exclusively on his second confession that he signed, they brought the same confession up here. So they leaned on that in the second trial, which makes sense. You won with that the first time, you're going to try and win with that the second. But also, they now had an eyewitness, which I would say is probably not worth very much because this is six years after the murder. And I personally don't think I would remember many faces all that accurately if I'd seen them once six years ago, really under any circumstance. But all right, you've got an eyewitness, so that's got to be worth something. Uh, although one caveat to that is that the same person had failed to recognize him when shown him years earlier. So you don't recognize the murderer shortly after the murder, but you do six years after the murder. After his pictures were in the paper. And, mm -hmm. yep. Question mark, exclamation point. Uh, but there's more. And there are so many times in this story that I, in my mind I'm just going, wow, there's more. The age of this witness at the time of the crime was two years old, 32 months. This was the daughter who was being babysat, or the girl who was being babysat. Oh, man. What? <laughs> so, the fuck? <laughs> it was Elmo. Does she even know? No. Is there a no. single person on this planet who actually thinks that a 32-month-old person six years later is going to remember a face? No. no. I hope not. Not without a lot of help. Yeah. A lot of guidance. Yeah. There's your star and only witness. Not very credible. Not her fault. She's not in a position where you can possibly blame her. But come on, authorities, this is just ridiculous. I keep thinking of the defense. Yeah, and I don't know really how the defense operated, at least in the first trial particularly. They may have been like the overworked, less capable kind of defense. They may not have. I can't say that with confidence. Mm -hmm. I do know that the quality of the defense definitely got better later. Um, but again, I couldn't really speak to how vigorously and effectively they defended that. I mean, just hearing it. You well, know, you know, juries can excel at stupid, though. So, mm -hmm. I mean... And you know, lazy. You, yeah, you're you right. Can't, you can't just... I mean, the, the whole thing of we have a confession, I just... I know so many people that right when they hear that, they would be like, well, he must have done it. And you would not be able to talk them out of thinking that way. I've known people who believe if the police arrest you, you've got to be guilty. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I do too. So. I remember when I was a lot younger watching the Rodney King beating when it first happened. And at that time, I was, I actually had a lot of faith in law enforcement, which frankly in Canada I think is far superior to the United States. I think there's a lot less corruption. There's still bad cops, but there's probably more reason up there to have faith in them. Not unbridled faith. But I remember watching that thinking, he must have done something. Which, if you're watching the video, like, mm -hmm. if I watch it now, I'm like, 
the hell was I thinking? I'm embarrassed that I ever thought that. But you can kind of see how people get those screwy kind of thoughts in their mind. Well, when you're a kid, you know, and the police officer's brought to the school, and, you know, he's like that, you know, you're kind of programmed to think he's a hero. And Mm -hmm. and most police are. Most of them actually are. But, you know, the ones that aren't are... Are yeah. really a problem. So yeah, yeah, and like get, we, and they get that hero complex. Sorry. Yeah, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. But yeah, like we aren't shy about saying when the police do a bad job on this show, and there have been times where actually I feel like we didn't point out they did a good job, like say the marathon bombings. I thought True. they did pretty well sure. there. But yeah, I don't mean to say that all cops are bad or incompetent or anything. It's just we have cases. You do well. They're human beings, right? Uh, and unproperly trained human beings. You know. There you go. Couldn't put it better, yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it's all of their faults. None of them even have the proper... They don't have the proper training in many places. They're put into situations where they're working ridiculous shifts. You know, they'll work an overnight shift and then, you know, get three hours of sleep and go work another full shift. And they're endangered so much. And they never know where that danger is coming. It could come at them from situations that appear not dangerous. And also, the vast majority of people they work with are probably dangerous or criminal or whatever. Right. Right. It's mm-hmm. easy to yeah. lose yeah. your discernment. Yeah. It's easy to get jaded. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, that aside, let's go back to the trial. We support the blue. <laughs> I do. Just I we oppose do. them yeah. when they yeah. kill innocent people and stuff like that. Oh, well, you know? we don't support that yeah. purple, that whatever. Purple, yeah. yeah, we don't. We don't say we support them and then tell people that hey, go run up in the Capitol building and murder someone. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. No, we no, do no. not do that. Uh, for the record, I love the Gardner police. I've had several interactions with them, not because I was like guilty of something, but mm. just in the course of community oh, policing. Sure, and they duh. are great. Yeah. They are actually. Richard Brax is a great chief. Yep, yeah. and they were very supportive during the Black Lives Matter when there were all those marches yes. earlier on. Uh, they were very much. Yeah, uh, you know. Maybe not a part of that movement, but they're certainly supportive of the people expressing that, which yeah. is much appreciated. Yep. Anyway, back to the trial. So, polygraph results were admitted, so I don't know when that became illegal, or I don't know how it was admitted exactly, but they were admitted. <clears throat> and... <laughs> He's getting out the Google. Don's pulling out his Google. <laughs> his Google's different than yours, though, Craig, so I don't know. Oh, it's... Oh, well... Well, <laughs> he doesn't know which way to hold his Google. No. He's flipping his phone around. <laughs> his Google's oh, upside down. What, what is, watch out, my Google's going to ejaculate. All right, here we go. All right, oh, so while Don busts me on something or other, uh, nah. I'll get back to the polygraph results. So the results allegedly, well, they actually, the examiner concluded that they showed deception. Um, they didn't, the deception didn't implicate Rivera as the murderer, though. Basically, the examiner's conclusion was, I can tell from the polygraph that there was evidence of deception, but I can't isolate the questions where deception occurred. So I think it's going back to Gracia's earlier point. You're stressed out. Your biological signs are all over the place. So either that's deception or you're stressed out because you think you're going to get convicted of something. Mm -hmm. Pretty much meaningless. I've always thought that polygraphs are bullshit, and apparently... We'll know soon. They have it's, not been allowed ever or since such and such a time. It's basically saying that you can use it as, like, side evidence. It's not real evidence. In 1983, oh. they started allowing it. Um, but it wasn't... Um, it couldn't be the only thing used against you in court. Uh, like, it was, like, supportive evidence. Is that mm-hmm. basically uh, what it's saying here? It's not saying that it's really, like, admissible, admissible. 
Gotcha. Let's say you can support something else. So if you if you can prove that they did this, and then you're saying, well, and also here's the polygraph to back that up. Mm. So here's the other thing is apparently the defense was not permitted to ask questions to show that the deception did not show him to be the murderer. So basically the prosecution was advancing it to say that there was deception and it basically... Okay. I found something a little different here. Excuse oh. me. Oh, what'd you find? I'm looking at another one. Pardon me. No, I'm still looking to make sure there's more. Polygraph tests have questionable reliability and are generally not admissible. Generally not admissible yeah. in court. Although they can be used in the investigations and in applying to some federal employee positions. Excuse me, my blown yeah, lost the my judge choice. needs 50 bucks. <laughs> but and allegedly in Lake County, is, Illinois. Is were the you know when it's the when I'm yeah. Well, this said in 1983 you could start using them. I'm trying to see when they became illegal. Yeah. Like when did we say like no, not even that then. Would but in 83 it could be side evidence. So I don't know when they stopped saying it could be that. I'll, yeah. I'm still trying to find that because there's so much information on here. All right. There's a lot. Keep fact checking me. But while you do that, I'm going to go on. Keep going. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the. Prosecution was advancing this, saying the conclusion was there is deception, and of course the implication that he, well, implicated himself as the murderer. The defense was not allowed to ask questions. But to wasn't show he confessing? <laughs> this was the interrogation. This was uh, prior okay. to his first confession, <laughs> and it was prior to him admitting guilt. So, pardon me, sir. I don't want to let you get too far along because I'd love to interrupt. So here's what I've got. In virtually every jurisdiction, the answer is a resounding no as to whether it's admissible in court. Though called lie detectors, the reality is that a polygraph machine does not have any capacity for detecting the truth or falsity of a statement. Rather, it measures a person's biological processes to determine if they're experiencing a physiological event such as an increase in blood pressure or heart rate. These conditions are considered to be indicators that someone may be lying as the increased stress of telling a falsehood creates a subtle but measurable charge in one's vital reason. Thank you, Google Man. We still don't have the win, but because uh, I, well, I think here it's a state to state. Right. It's a state to state because in Massachusetts, 1989, they became illegal. 1989. But okay. that's Massachusetts. That's a good, very so, good, good one research. One of the things that police do like to do, though, in line with um, things like polygraphs, is that they'll, you know, when you're they're questioning you before they go into the polygraph room or whatever, they'll make sure you to give you a lot of sodas and stuff like that, so you have to go to the bathroom during the polygraph. <laughs> so they're known to do things like that. All right, tip well, to the listeners, refuse all drinks when you're about to get a polygraph. Yep. Let's Further offer tip, something don't to take our listening audience here. If you want to pass a polygraph, just before you answer the test, uh, the question, excuse me, uh, flex your sphincter. I'm doing it right now, Don. <laughs> believe me? It actually worked. Well, yeah. supposedly it works. But. Well, except the lie detector is complete bullshit to begin with. So yeah. There yes. you go. It yeah, is. I can't yeah. better that. Yeah. yeah. So I would say if you're guilty and you're a cool cucumber, take a lie detector. <laughs> if you're innocent, don't even consider it. You're right. And if you're very anxious and what have you, don't. don't, don't. Never talk to Never the police check. without a lawyer. There it's a serious go. crime. That is yeah. true. You have a right to an attorney, get an attorney. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
And never under any circumstances confess to a crime you didn't commit because you're going to get convicted, no matter how bullshit it is. Anyway, back to the polygraph. The defense was not allowed to ask questions to show that the polygraph did not actually implicate him in the murder. So they weren't allowed to cross-examine the witness? I don't have the details. I haven't read the exact script. I just know that part of the appeal basis was that the defense was not permitted to ask questions to show that the deception that was um, concluded from the test did not implicate him in the murder. Basically because they couldn't isolate which questions they thought he was lying about. But by their logic, that meant he did it. Exactly. So clearly he must be guilty. (laughs) Again. Oh. (laughs) Hit my head on the table. Sorry. So, at this point in time, though, we also have a little bit more information from an informant. Uh, so we had the initial informant who, you know, mentioned that, hey, you should go check out this Rivera guy, but it turns out he wasn't very credible. Shocker. Uh, there's another guy. In fall of 1997, he claimed that during a May 1997 Bible study, Rivera had told him, I killed that little girl. So this is another inmate. Who said that in May 1997 he had this discussion with Rivera? Would this be a common subject in a Bible study? (laughs) I guess repentance, but. Oh, you're right. You're right. You you know, like it could come up in that case. I'm not saying that it's valid, but like it could come up. No, no, no. I'm, you know. But again, informants in jail, probably about the worst possible source you can have. However, this guy was a little different because he was at that time awaiting sentencing on a case that he hadn't already been sentenced on and he, quote, was still trying to get a few more years knocked off the sentence. Mm. So, if you thought he had any credibility, you should completely forget that now. And nobody else in this Bible study heard him? He didn't, like, say it out loud? Like, I don't know. Yeah, small Bible group, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, two people. <laughs> Me and you, buddy. Let's read yeah, our Bible. there's so much to do in jail, you know. <laughs> yeah. those, those Bible studies are actually probably pretty big in prisons because it's just something yeah. to do. Well, actually, I think a lot of people hide behind religion to try and stay safe in jail, which I might very well do myself, so I might stop being Let me tell you something about Bible studies and juvenile reform schools I might have some experience in. So we used to go to the Bible studies because we wanted the Bible paper. They always gave us this little Bibles, you know, after. We used that to put put, um, coffee grounds in and smoke like cigarettes. <laughs> Lord's work. Oh, it man. is the Lord does Those work little Bibles in the New Testament. <laughs> yeah, if only the preachers knew. Like, like, <laughs> look at all these devout Christians here. I've got all these kids going. <laughs> when, when do we get the Bible? <laughs> yeah, and it can also help you in parole. Like they paroled yeah. the um, dog, the bounty hunter, who's mm-hmm. been in. You know, I yeah. mean, in the news for so long. You know, he was convicted of murder. So and he, he <laughs> looks like it. Well, he did five yeah. years. I, he he drove uh he drove the car of the person who shot a black man. So he ended up getting convicted along with the shooter. That surprises um, me. Wait, they're shooting a black guy? Yeah. Well, yeah. it was really? in Texas, so he yeah. you know once he promised oh. to never do anything that involved carpooling again, they let him out. Oh, of course. <laughs> um. I will not ride in the carpool lane. And I will never have an abortion. <laughs> so. So help me. You're out. free, my son. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. It's from Jesus. So I might have only been half paying attention. Did you say that the Bibles were used for drugs? 
No. Uh, I was on the coffee. house. We, we he didn't have tobacco. Coffee. He was smoking coffee. Uh, we're, I'm, I'm just in a reform school in California. California Youth right. Authority. Okay. All right. So these these probably very nice people would come in and try to save us all, right? Mm -hmm. And at first we'd probably ignore them, but then somebody got the bright. You know what? We can use the paper of those Bibles because paper was hard to come by, mm -hmm. and we'll put the coffee grounds again with this paper. Well, uh, and roll them up and smoke them. Well, yeah, you can use paper to smoke things, and you can use paper to start fires. So, Grisha, can you hook me up with more Mexican angle over here? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I we're getting to Craig. <laughs> I had no idea, Dave. God, that's a real well, revelation. Do you want to end the line, Ooh, too? No. Yes, please. Okay. Yeah, yeah, lots of it. But, yeah, think about starting a fire. What's the easiest thing to use? I'm 70 years old, I should say. So, I'm 70 years old. Don't be shocked. This was many, many moons ago. I've been alive 10,000 and something days, so that was a long time ago. But, yes, okay. we, we were devious little creatures. Oh, I'm sure you were. <laughs> Deviant as can be. Anyway. Mm, fun um, to be deviant. Actually, you want to go into that? Pass. <laughs> well, hard, hard pass. Craig's like, I have like two more pages. <laughs> All right, I'll put away the leather. Okay. So that was a fun, long sidetrack. Let me come back. I've covered the evidence the second trial. I have to tell you the verdict, guilty again. And the sentence, life again, from Judge Stark. He tried it again. So... End of the story. Convicted twice, gonna rot in jail for the rest of his life. But on December 12, 2001, the Illinois Appellate Court had a chance to um, basically reject the decision, which they didn't. They affirmed it, so now that's the end of the story. Convicted twice, affirmed by the Appellate Court, all set. Except on May 24, 2005, uh, pursuant to the defense team for Rivera asking for further DNA analysis, which, this is years later, DNA analysis is much better. Uh, they were able to exclude him as the source of the semen that was found in the victim's vagina. Th these folks have anything to do with the Innocence Project? Um, I don't... Because that's, that's how they've gotten a lot yeah. of people yeah, out. Yeah. Just, just I, asking, I don't know. I don't think the... I, I could be wrong, I shouldn't even say. I was going to say, I don't think the we Innocence Project was involved in this, but they could have been. I certainly found information about it on their site. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> uh, that would seem to be exculpatory, you would think, although there was already a lack of physical evidence to put mm -hmm. him in the site, but you'd think this is pretty strong. Like, clearly, this must have been a rape murder. If you find the semen and it doesn't match the convict, you know, the guy that you think did the crime, he can't be the murderer because he's not the rapist. But evidence of innocence is not necessarily grounds for appeal. True. Say again? Yeah, there are lots of people who there's oh, evidence they, of their innocence, right. but they're still in jail. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's procedural issues they have to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. right. For appeal, right. which is kind of ridiculous. That is. However, there, you should have a little bit of faith in the system because at this point, Judge Stark, who oversaw the first two trials, vacated the conviction on the basis of the DNA evidence and he ordered a retrial. Or he, you know, he struck that down anyway. So if you want to put this guy in jail, you got to try him again. Uh, Michael Waller, state's attorney, decides to proceed because he has even more evidence that this guy is the killer no, because he's excluded really? by DNA evidence. Um, head shake. 
<laughs> so. Oh my god. <laughs> the third trial begins on April 13, 2009. Uh, and addressing the evidence, um, Mike Mermel then says, well, she had semen in her that did not belong to Rivera because she was sexually active. And she, she was 11, right? Yes. I'm sure that there have been some 11 year old girls somewhere at some time who some, were having consensual. That very is rare. not common. Again, reasonable doubt. I have more than reasonable doubt this. The slut babysitter. Shame the girl, huh? Yeah. yeah well, that's the other sick. part of this. You've got a girl who is murdered, and you're not even trying to find the actual killer. Which is the worst thing, I guess, but now you're sullying her memory by yeah. this kind of speech. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, yeah. That like, is horrible. So, if she was sexually active, um, who was she active with, and does his DNA? And what evidence match? do you have to. The, so, well, well, this guy, She's he don't care about evidence. evidence. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if you had a daughter that was 11 that was sexually active, you'd have some idea who she was sexually active with because you don't, you know, it's not like you let your 11-year-old go out to the bars, you uh, know. No, so. I never No, did. she brings her men over when she's babysitting at somebody else's house. <laughs> okay. So this, my friends, is what we're talking about with the unindicted co-ejaculator. Wow. You, as the prosecutor have someone that either you want to convict or you've already convicted, you have physical DNA evidence, semen, which proves that person didn't do it. You don't want to admit that you fucked up in the first place or you don't think you're gonna find the actual murderer. You wanna make the conviction stick and you couldn't care less whether you're railroading an innocent person or not. You just come up with whatever ridiculous bullshit theory you can to explain away the exculpatory evidence. So you say that this murderer is the murderer. This guy I got, he's actually guilty. This woman or this girl or boy or whatever the case may be just happened to be having consensual sex or was raped by somebody else or it gets even more ludicrous. I've got one at the end to tell you about. But defense attorneys have come up with the term uh, unindicted co-ejaculator because it happens so often and it's like shorthand for this asshole prosecutor doesn't care if he railroads an innocent person and here's his bullshit theory for it. I would love to hear the prosecutor, you know, every prosecutor swears an oath. I'd love to hear what they swear an oath to. <laughs> of course, we know that Trump swore an oath too, didn't we? To the Constitution defending it. And, uh, he never read it though, so. No, he didn't. <laughs> but, Was so it maybe I'm, on? Yeah. <laughs> too many big words. Yeah, so anyway, the semen belonged to a consensual partner, not the killer. Or he also advanced the theory that maybe the state's lab contaminated the results. He uh, blames himself a lot. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, I mean, basically, what it came down to is, hey, everybody, one of these things is probably true. I don't know, really, but you should find this guy guilty because, you know, whatever. Uh, that's not really a quote, but that's essentially what he was saying. Mm -hmm. um, Amen. Yeah. So I guess the upshot is you can't trust the lab for anything because they fuck it all up. To the we point. have a great lab here in Massachusetts. <laughs> oh my gosh, you watch that Netflix special? <laughs> I mean, you know, they just say, "Who do you want to convict?" Oh, okay, yeah, found that DNA. Scary. That is scary. If you're innocent, that's very scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. So unsurprisingly, the verdict comes down guilty again. 
I would love to talk to somebody from one of these juries. Like, I just don't understand what can be going through their brains. Yeah, this is an indictment of the people in these areas. It's like people jury as well as that prosecutor but they're jury all like election, yeah. yeah and what part of Illinois are we in are we towards the city are we like way in the middle of nowhere uh, I don't know the geography of that state very well it's Lake County the town was Waukegan Waukegan Hmm. So, you know, if I'm ever on trial for murder, I'm going to ask to be tried by a jury of 12 I'd rather monkeys go to Fall River. Peers. Yeah, yeah, let's go to Fall River. <laughs> I'm looking at a map just because, you know. Okay. Cue the Jeopardy music. Oh, okay. it's by the water. <laughs> Looks Lo like a lovely place. Well, it's not. It's about. It's not too far from the Wisconsin border. Hmm. Cheeseheads. It's right below uh, the Illinois State Park Beach, and then it's like Wisconsin. It's, oh, I see. So you got like a, hmm. but it's pretty far from the city, because hmm. it's like, a, like North Chicago's here, and then here's Waukegan, but it's still in the same like on the water, on Lake Michigan. I see. So anyway. Interesting. Something in that water. Would is there anything suspect about Michigan water? <laughs> Must not be. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Not going to say any more on that one, right? I am mm. trying to hold back a way too long tirade right now. <laughs> okay, so guilty again, life sentence again. Now this is the end of the story. There's, you know, three times convicted, you're done. Except, of course, there's an appeal for this. And the appeal is upheld. And the finding of the appellate court was, um, well, the basis of the appeal is that Stark refused to, refused to allow Rivera's attorneys to present evidence rebutting the false claim of the police that Rivera knew facts only the perpetrator would have known. So it's kind of amazing that they're not allowed to bring that up. And also that Rivera's confessions had um, been on the ground that they were involuntary, they should have been suppressed, and they weren't. Um, so again, you know, those four days of interrogation, he was twice brought in for a polygraph test at, by the way, it's a company called John E. Reed and Associates, and they bill themselves as the world leader for providing training programs on investigative interviewing and interrogation techniques. <laughs> these are the guys that influence the investigators here, and these are the guys, it was this company that did the polygraph tests. So it's frightening how badly they I mean, they completely fucked up the interrogation just to kind of get a, a confession. It's not like a one-off. This is like a large company that has a lot of juice in this field. So it's endemic. It's pretty pathetic. That company is located in Keystone? Keystone Cops. <laughs> Did you get that joke, David? I didn't. <laughs> Boy, you're too young. Too young. None of us in the room were like crickets. <laughs> uh, so anyway, as I've mentioned earlier, the results were mixed, um, and you know, although they were believed to indicate deception, they didn't actually indicate deception that implicated him in murder, but the guy who administered it told Rivera that the evidence demonstrated his guilt. Um, so shocker that he signs the confession. He's been told that the polygraph proves him guilty, and he probably doesn't know that that's questionable in court. Confession is what killed him. Well, he's not dead, but the confession is what got him done. So, there's the basis of another appeal. Then, on December the 9th, 2011, the Illinois Appellate Court struck down the verdict on the grounds of, seriously? 
Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> um, that's a lie. They struck it down on the grounds of this was unjustified and cannot stand. So, finally, after three convictions, he's gotten the conviction reversed a third time. Uh, at that point, state's attorney Michael Waller chose to dismiss the charges, giving this official explanation. Quote, Today, I believe the right thing is to bring to a conclusion the case against Mr. Rivera by electing not to appeal the reversal of his conviction, unquote. Um, and this is after Rivera had spent 20 years in prison for something he didn't do. <laughs> but the funny part here is that the real reason Waller chose to not pursue it any farther is because the appellate court said, you fucking idiot, you are not allowed to try this man again. They actually barred him for ever being uh, tried again. So, yeah. yeah. So it's not with, with prejudice is what it means. Yeah. 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 That's, I think, pretty extraordinary. But even then, this douche couldn't admit that, you know, yeah. he comes yeah. up and says, yeah, I chose not to try him again. We have all known people like this. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. His ego's too big. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I'm sorry for the past 20 years of your life. Like, eh, I'm gonna Well, that. he's got a lawsuit, too, but... Yeah. Hey, Jill. Hey! Oh, oh! We're saved! She's now here to bust the usurper. <laughs> we're doing great, too. <gasps> wow! Yeah, good catch! Wow! I brought the reflexes! Uh, listeners, we almost had alcohol abuse. Don't try to spill a drink on the floor. <laughs> it's just lime juice right now. Oh, and then he <laughs> almost had lime juice. This okay. one should be on, right? Go yeah, it is, because Steve just left a few minutes ago. Oh, okay. Okay, you're just in time for the end. Oh, God. <laughs> so, anyway, this whole story has a very happy ending, because after he was uh, exonerated, after three convictions, the state felt really bad about what they'd done to Rivera in taking away 20 years of his life and putting him through living hell, and decided to give him a certificate of innocence. Ooh! Oh, wow! Oh, I would take that for 20 years in prison. Yeah. I bet you he frames that Ooh, up in his kitchen, oh, you know, sure. like in yeah. the refrigerator. Just like they framed him. Uh, yeah. But there's more. They Ooh. also gave him $213,000 for 20 years. 20 years. <laughs> That's disgusting. Let's divide that yeah. out. Yeah, that, you're going to have to do that division. Yeah. <laughs> Not bloody much. <laughs> Thanks, assholes. Yeah. That's so, not even minimum wage. Like if he'd worked a full time yeah, job every close. year, yeah, not at all. it's like and ten grand his a year. Life. Yeah, like his entire yeah. life forever. Yeah. Twenty years. Like how old was he when this oh happened? Oh my god, that's do you remember? yeah. Well, what do you do when you sure. get out? How do you? Generally right. speaking, they usually give you roughly a few million for um, anything over a couple of years. So generally, right. so well. In this case, they didn't, but. Uh, not surprisingly, Rivera sued, and he actually got $20 million, which is still a really shit deal for what he went through. Yeah. Yes. But better. Yeah. yeah. He deserves something. So something, for sure. Some of it. How on earth these people aren't tried for their crimes, I don't get. Yeah. Because, yes. like, we're talking about here one horrible crime that happened mm -hmm. to this girl. And, you know, obviously I want to do nothing to minimize that, but this is a horrible crime, and it's one of many committed by these two guys. Yeah. Railroading innocent people. Yeah. And you could try to say that they didn't know this guy was innocent, but it's hard to believe based on all of the facts. Like, I can't see how they could possibly be on the level here. Yeah, no. And also, like you said, the polygraph people that kind of, like, pushed it. How many people did they do that to? 
that mm-hmm. change the, the course of an investigation. In a lot of places, polygraphs aren't even admissible anyway. Even if yeah. you fail it with flying colors, they still can't bring it in. Are you, yeah. yeah, we went through that. Am earlier. I what? Am I closer? closer? I I th- Am I close enough? Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I can hear you, but nobody else can because I turned off the mic. Yeah, that's Steve what I was oh, crap. By the way, Steve left. I think he looked too hungover, and the Mexican hangover cure didn't fix him. Yeah. <laughs> really? Again? Yeah. He was kids, a real bitch. He lives yeah, a he hard fell asleep life. like twice at the table. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I tell you, that week we spent to Denver just broke him. He's now out of control. Wow. Um... Yeah, so there ends the story as far as Rivera is concerned. It is worth bringing up a couple of postscripts. First off, there was DNA evidence at the scene, and as we know, none of it implicated Rivera in any way. But it obviously implicated someone. Uh, And in all likelihood, based on the DNA evidence, that is a someone who in 2000, so eight years after this murder, went on to beat and light on fire someone named Delwyn Foxworth. Jesus. He died two years later of his injuries. So, so there was a match of DNA there. Yes. Oh, so, um, you know, it, this yeah, is the they guy. they let the person out that yeah. actually did the crime. And yeah. this is the... It know. wasn't the informant? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, it's not only that you haven't bothered to get justice for the original victim and that you've railroaded an innocent man. Uh, You've now, because you can't be bothered to look for the actual killer, or you're just too incredibly stupid to actually realize that you've got the wrong guy, you've had another person, just in the most horrid of ways, murdered. I mean, he survived for two years to suffer. It can't get much worse than that. So, yeah, again, why these guys aren't tried for their crimes, I cannot understand. Like, this is just um, that's it's a, so disgusting. That's a good point. I think there is a movement afoot to hold prosecutors more accountable when they behave When they deliberately way. do it. I mean, yeah. anybody can when be When you deliberately wrong, do it, yeah. You know, well, when, it's, when it becomes apparent that this was deliberate. But, but think and about that. Think about that for one second, though, in the context of all of our jobs, right? So, like, I'm a director level. So if somebody brings me something that says, hey, if we implement this patch, we're going to crash a system, and I ignore it, and the system gets crashed, I get in trouble for that. Now, let's say that my team doesn't tell me that, but I'm constantly fucking up at work. I'm falling asleep like Steve does, or, um, you know what I mean, not meeting my numbers or whatever, or I'm doing things that aren't correct, or I'm not a good people manager, I will lose my job for that. Period. Job is you know, good, is okay. I, I, I believe prosecutors can be can lose their. It job sounds like in this case wrong. they really. This... But when you're talking about deliberate, I do believe there should be criminal consequences. Yeah. But they have to establish that there's some high level of negligence or deliberance there. Right. There's such a thing as being defense. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's but a gray why area. in that profession, not in my profession? Like, come on, you know, we don't have you don't have that luxury anywhere else. It's a, it should be held to a higher standard because yeah. of the, the way you can affect people's lives. Yeah, honestly, all I can do is make your call experience worse. But what they can do is put you in jail for your life. You know? Oh my god! Yeah, or to death. This guy who had death on the on the table. Yeah. yeah, that's what they wanted him to be sentenced to. They wanted the life. So. Yeah, I know. Actually, I'm the one who gave Craig this Maddie, story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they executed him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounded familiar. Her name. So I got one other thing I got to give you for sure before we're done, uh, and that is an even more ludicrous unindicted co-ejaculator story from the Mike Marmel files. 
Um, there's a guy named Jerry Hobbs who uh, his daughter was raped and murdered along with a friend. Um, and, you know, young daughter, young kid again. And they decided he probably did it, so they're going to charge him. I don't recall for sure if he ever got to trial, but Mermel's explanation for this was crazy. She was found uh, in the woods, and she was found by Jerry Hobbs himself, and they suspected him because of how quickly he found the body, by the way, which is a little bit of a goofy thing, but whatever. And she had semen in her mouth, uh, rectum, and vagina. Oh. And she was and like eight, by the way. Eight? Eight, yeah. And oh my God! None of it matched Jerry Hobbs. So again, he's the killer. Guilty. He's guilty. Well, wait till you hear this. <laughs> so, Mermel's explanation for how she got this semen on her is that she was in a wooded area at the time of, you know, where she was found, where a lot of couples go to engage in a certain activity. What the and, fuck? Right. And somebody looks at and they decide, you know what? <laughs> and how do you get it in your mouth and your ass? No, like, well, exactly. she was rolling around in the leaves, I think is what they said. Well, I don't know if they said that, <gasps> but that's the only <gasps> thing I can imagine <laughs> is either she walked into the woods and semen was leaping off of the leaves into her mouth and somehow inserting it, like getting past her clothes. Uh, that would be remarkable. <laughs> Or she was taking off all her clothes, rolling around in a sea of dried semen, and like putting it in her mouth and stuff. It stuffing would have had to have butt. been wet, I think, if it went in her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I often do that in the woods. So, so I mean. well, we know you do, Dad. <laughs> Isn't that Holy weird? Holy cow! That yeah, was that was That's terrible. Insane. But the, there's a jury that f that goes. Oh yeah. That's what. That's the thing Juries that gets are me. Lazy. Yeah, it's like you're like a prosecutor, so you're like, oh, whatever shit goes, right? But you're a jury listening to this, and you're like, all right, <laughs> yeah. maybe. <laughs> that sounds reasonable. Yeah, but there's no reasonable doubt there. There's just reasonable occurrence. Like I don't get it, you know. Yeah. yeah. So the words of Mike Mermel are really awesome. But yeah, I like that. That'd make a great book, you know. The words of Mike. Yeah. <laughs> really? I mean, it would, and then give the background. But I would like to leave you with this quote directly from Mike Mermel that I think says a lot about him. Uh, and just, you know, it was the first quote I saw from him that really made me kind of go, hmm. Quote. The taxpayers don't pay us for intellectual curiosity. They pay us to get convictions, unquote. Basically meaning, I don't give a flying fuck if I got the right guy, I'm going to put him in jail. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, yeah that's true. I'm not yeah. curious as to who actually yeah. Is. yeah, well, I think we've talked about cases in the past, too, where, like, the cops, if they don't arrest somebody fast enough, right, then the, the town or whoever gets pissy and puts all this pressure on them. So in response, they'll just fucking arrest anybody. Whereas, and then they start making the evidence go towards them. Yeah, exactly. Like more evidence of other people. Yeah. It starts pigeonholing the investigation. Yeah. Exactly. Or yeah. in this case, they don't have any evidence, so they just force a confession and they call it good. Right. There you go. Let's see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They'll even write it for you. Yeah. Just sign here. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, if that's all fucked up, we'll come back and straight. Yeah. And you some quit. shoes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it's not the crazy like every part of this story was crazy. Yeah. Again, if anybody who served on any of those three juries is listening to this, please, I don't want to abuse you. I just want to know what the hell was going on in that room. Laziness. That's beyond lazy. I mean, that's incompetent. Somebody's life is well, in the balance. I, you know what? But when we said it really... I've been in a jury room where somebody's life, not, not 
being dead or anything, but somebody's life, meaning many, 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 many years in jail, uh, was at stake, and they just wanted to get the hell out of there. Yeah. that's also part of what's wrong with our jury system like I like kind of like our jury system but people I know when I was doing a jury thing one lady was like couldn't afford to lose the time at work because she was not like I mean you're supposed to get jury pay um if it, but only for three days. So if it's like a two-week trial, then you're going all those other days without pay. But if you're a server, a waitress, a bartender, a delivery driver, uh, and your income is tips, you're not getting that. You're yeah. just getting your two dollars and sixty-three cents an hour. Point. And if you're a single mom, you can't afford yeah, to serve on a jury. Yeah. So sure. then they're like, oh, yeah. girl, well, fuck, what's going on here? I mean, I, I don't. Like excuse it, but I guess in a case, those cases, I can understand it. Because their own being, their their uh, whole life is being affected by. Right. It. Yeah. And just, prosecutors are known to actually look for people like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah jury selection yeah. is a big part of. It's the, huge. You know, yeah. Right. And they, in fact, a lot of law offices and whatever, they actually hire like psychiatrists and everything. Mm. Yeah. Like, to evaluate. Yeah, yeah, and to make sure that you're, you know. Bowling at the mouth crazy. Right. Well, then yeah. you got that must here. be how I got on the jury. <laughs> Actually, I think so. Mm. Hey, this guy drools on himself. <laughs> look, look at this guy. I just didn't know what kind of drooling fool they were getting. <laughs> <laughs> but you would think, though, at least one person in the room, because there's, well, there's 14, right, but only 12 are actual jurors. Yeah. But you'd think one of the 12 would be like, well, really? Yeah. You know? And there were, in this case, yeah. at least in some of the trials, People who didn't feel like there was, you know, they felt there was a reasonable doubt, and There's they eventually a, caved. The yeah. um, deliber- deliberations were longer in this trial than any others in the previous history of that county, although that was still only four days. Yeah. But so yeah, there somebody was, some, was. Yeah. But I would like to think if I was in that room, I'd be like, "You guys can keep me here for ten years. There's no way I'm caving mm-hmm. on this. Right. This is ridiculous. It's somebody's life. Yeah. There's a, a very famous movie or play with Twelve Angry Men. Yeah. 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 I think everybody before they go on jury duty needs to see that. Yeah. And that's Henry Fon. I mean, it goes way back, but the the all these issues are raised in that in that piece of work. So. Just for the record, if I'm ever on trial, I will decline to have a jury. I want a magic eight ball to be my jury. <laughs> yeah. When I was, wisdom in that. When I was in school, we had to do this thing for criminal law, and we had to like, be part of a jury system, and everybody had different parts of it. Like somebody was um, the prosecutor, somebody was the defense. Like it was a real case. I didn't realize at the time it was a real judge. Long story there. But I was in the jury, so I was selected to the jury, and it was a case where this, um, she said it was rape. Uh, It was a woman, her husband, uh, on the defense side, and then it was against this gentleman who she said raped her. When it came time to the jury, me and two other people, the only two people that, like, would not change our minds, and they're like, it's fake, Rachel, let's just go. And I was like, well, no, I think the case presents itself this way, like... Let's not go. Like, isn't this like our assignment? Like, we're getting an A for this. And I feel like the guy's not, you know, like, this is how I feel. And the evidence presents this way. And I I was pretty adamant. So the judge came in, who I just thought was a teacher, not a teacher, by the Mm -hmm. way. She came in and she was like, okay, so I want you guys to deliberate again. I'm like, it's midnight. I got school in the morning. Like, all my classes were 7 a.m. So I'm like, I really got to go. Can we just call this jury home? She was like, one more hour, please. So we did one more hour, did not come to a decision. 
And then I was like, if we don't hung now, hang now, I, I'm, I'm leaving. Like, this right. is a fake assignment. I, it's 1 a.m. I got a class in six hours. And I had to write her an apology letter because I uh, was adamant about leaving at that point in time. But I did not know she was a real Supreme Court judge. And uh, I thought this was just an assignment. And it's 1 a.m. and I've got class. But I hung I hung out for the whole time. And I got my go-to-class that afternoon. And my teacher was like, so that was one of her cases. And she found the same way as you. So she agreed with you. She was trying to get you to persuade the group. Like, that was how she found for that but you I'm like it was 1am what do you want from me yeah right. like I just thought it was an assignment and nobody was nobody's yeah, but you, you lose sight of the the, uh, the impact on the defendant you know, yeah. it's like you're talking about a life here yeah, whether he's, yeah. Uh, everybody everybody involved you're talking about lives like, but if that was your son or daughter on trial yeah yeah you gotta stick with what you yeah. feel and you got and this is ultimately the only reason that Ryan Ferguson, who was railroaded in Missouri, I think it was, ever got out is because his dad is like, there's no way he did it. And his dad like basically devoted his life to getting his kid out. And it took mm -hmm. 10 years and a super high power attorney out of Chicago to get him there. Mm -hmm. And that's probably a fortune. And yeah. Well, yeah. she took it pro bono, but yeah, he dropped some money along the way. I bet he did. But it would be worth it. I'd do it too. Yeah. Yep. Great job. Craig. Nice job, Craig. Yeah, great thanks. job. That was really, fun. really great. It's almost yeah. worth doing the actual research to have a good time like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, should mention what will be next week. I'm not totally sure. Oh, it says Jill dot dot dot, but I have cheerleading on Saturday and Sunday next week, competition days. I will do it. Okay. What are you going to do? I'm going to do it about the youngest person ever executed in the United States of America. Okay. And the name is? <laughs> Whip out the Google. Whip dog. out the Google. Hold it the oh, right way. Oh, that's not a Google. That's a finger, mister. Uh, Gracia and your dad both whipped <laughs> out their Google on me today. Yeah. This was a young black person who was 14 years old. I'm not going to give you his name. Okay. Now. I'm not giving it away because everybody will be ahead of me. Oh, true. Good, 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 no, 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 no. True. Good thing. 14 Keep years secrets. old. <laughs> sat on a Bible while they electrocuted him. Mm, that's disgusting, yeah. 70 years later, was exonerated, saying, no, he didn't do it. That must be a great relief to his, if he ever had any kids, to his great-great-grandchildren. Oh, well, yeah. At the age of 14, of he probably had a few, right? Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Imagine this. Of course, he was black. Mm -hmm. It was Jim Crow South. Mm -hmm. It was 1944. Mm -hmm. And we'll go over all of that. Next week. Nice. Next week. Sounds it good. Should be fabulous. And I will, once again, next week then, be Jill. <laughs> yep. You do it very nice, Jill. I, I like the dress. I like the, well, the negotiation. <laughs> Thanks. All right. <laughs> Peace out, y'all. Thank you for listening to us on this episode of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite app so you don't miss an episode. You can also send us an email to cocktailsmocktailsandcrime at gmail.com. Or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Or Twitter at CMCrime1. See you all next week. <laughs>